concerned husband went to see their family doctor. He said to the doctor, Doctor, I think my wife is deaf. She never hears me the first time I say anything. In fact, I, I have to repeat things over and over again. Well, the doctor replies, I tell you what, do this. Go home tonight and stand about 15 feet away from your wife and then say something. If she doesn't reply, move five feet closer and say it again. Keep doing this so, so we can get an idea of the severity of her deafness. Sure enough, the husband goes home and he does exactly as instructed. He stands about 15 feet away from his wife who, who is standing in the kitchen chopping up vegetables. He says, Honey, what's for dinner? No reply. So he moves five feet closer. Honey, what's for dinner? Again, no reply. Moves five feet closer. Again, honey, what's for dinner? Again, no reply. Angry, he moves right up behind her, about an inch away, and he says, Honey, what's for dinner? She says, for the fourth time, it's vegetable stew. <laughs> now, in addition to being funny, you know what I love about that story? What I love about the story is, is it illustrates a tendency we all have, especially in marriage. You know what that tendency is? It's to believe that the biggest problem in my marriage is the other person, right? I don't have a hearing problem. She does. We have a tendency, do we not, to think that the biggest problem in our marriages is the other person. In fact, in fact, I wonder, all, all joking aside, is that how some of you feel right now? Ha, have you ever thought or even said out loud, if only my spouse would do this, or if only my spouse would stop doing this, then my marriage would be better, and then I would be happy. What I'm asking is, when hardships come upon your marriage, what is your first thought? Is it what your spouse is or is not doing? Or is it what God has called you to do? as a husband or a wife. This morning we are going to once again be studying Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And in this passage, God reveals 
his design, the roles that he has designed for a husband and a wife, roles that he has given for marriages to flourish. Yet as we discussed last week, the question that we need to settle in our hearts as we approach this text is simply, does God design junk? That is, is God's design for marriage, for husbands and wives, is God's design, is it flawed? Or, or if not flawed, is it maybe perhaps outdated and needing some improvements? Does God make mistakes in His designs? Or do you believe that God's design for marriage, as expressed in Scripture, is good and perfect and life-giving? Because I have to tell you, friend, it's, it's really not more complicated than that. Because if you do believe that God is good and that He does good and that what He designs is excellent, then you'll be receptive to the roles and responsibilities that He has assigned to a husband and to a wife. But, it, but if you believe or you, or you have this thought come into your mind that, that God he designs junk. Or, or if you believe that his ways are antiquated and, and you know what, they need updates, then at best you're, you're going to be resistant to what Ephesians 5 teaches. And my aim this morning is just to persuade you that what God designs is good, and not only good, it's worthy of our praise. Indeed, my prayer is that all of us would receive what God teaches about marriage with joy and thanksgiving. So if you haven't already, please turn within your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. That's page 978 in that paperback Bible in the chair uh, in front of you. Last week we studied the role God has ordained for a wife in marriage. This morning we're going to look at the husband's role. And if you can believe it, more than several men have told me that they had initially planned to be out of town this week. <laughs> However, their wives persuaded them to attend this morning. <laughs> Except Basil. Uh, he's not here, and he thought... <laughs> it was a, no. Uh, for those of you that did come... Two weeks in a row. Well done. Well done. So please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read Ephesians chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 22. And I'm going to just make a couple of comments as we work our way through this text to, to, to remind ourselves of what we talked about last week, but also to, to fully understand our present text. Uh, Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I just want to pause here and just remind us 
God calls wives to submit, not to all husbands, but to their own husbands. And it's very important when he says, as unto the Lord. A, a wife doesn't submit to her husband because he is worthy of it. He submits, she submits to her own husband because Jesus is worthy of it. Right? You submit to your own husband as to the, as to the Lord. And then notice he, he gives a further explanation. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. How, Paul? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, so notice, Jesus takes it upon Himself to make His church holy and beautiful. This is what Jesus does. Now notice what Paul says in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. And amen, this is God's good, good word. Uh, how, how many of you like surprises? You like surprises? <laughs> you, should, I, you should see your faces right now. <laughs> Several years ago, then, 94-year-old 94, 94 Peter Berger of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, he got the surprise of his life. Indeed, it was a surprise he never thought would happen. And you know what that was? He was arrested by the United States Department of Justice. And you know why he was arrested? He was arrested for the horrific crimes he committed as a Nazi in Germany. You see, something happened that Peter 
could never have imagined. The SS cards that identified him along with other prison camp guards, that had been lost on a boat that was sunk by the Allies. But in 1950, these cards were discovered. However, they were corroded and some were disintegrated. Yet thanks to modern technology, those cards were reassembled and thus the names and all the information on those SS cards are now fully understood. And this is what led to his arrest. In an interview with the BBC, Devorah Fish, the director of education for the Tennessee Holocaust Commission, she said this, commenting on how he had for over 50 years thought he was just going to live peaceably in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, all by himself. She writes this. She says, every time that somebody is brought to justice, even from 50 years ago or longer, that is a message to the world because we're not going to stop until everybody is brought to justice. And then she says this true statement. Even if it's something you did years ago, it will still catch up to you. And you know what? The Bible agrees. Friends, Scripture plainly teaches that your sin will find you out. There, there is no such thing as secret sin. Yet far more terrifying than appearing before a human court is standing before the throne of God. Friend, please hear me. Judgment is coming. You will be judged for your sin in what Scripture makes abundantly clear, and especially the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, is that your sin condemns you to an eternity in hell. This is what you have earned. All of us have earned due to our sin. We stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. And this is why we need Jesus. Friend, for God to be good, for God to be just, He must punish sin. And the good news of Scripture is that Jesus took that punishment by dying on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for guilty sinners like you and me. Amen? He absorbed the punishment. He absorbed the penalty, the wrath. You are owed for your sins on the cross, even your secret sins. Friend, please hear me. You cannot save yourself. Do, do you understand your righteousness, your morality, your good behavior, you helping little old ladies across the street? Friend, 
Your righteousness is, are but filthy rags to God. You need a power outside of yourself to pay for the penalty of your sin, and that's exactly what God has provided in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived the perfect, sinless life you and I have failed to live. Then He willingly died on a cross. He died the death you deserve to die for your transgressions. I mean, think about this. The only perfect, sinless person to ever walk this earth died in the place of sinners. Then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving himself to be the Son of God and saving all who would trust in him. And here is the incredible offer of Scripture. This salvation comes to a person simply by faith. Salvation, as the Bible makes clear, salvation is received, not achieved. The reason why it's received is because Jesus achieved everything necessary for sinners like you and me to be saved. Friend, and especially guys here, in a moment we're going to talk about what it means to be a husband. But you'll never be able to do what God calls you to do as a husband if you do not know Jesus as your Savior. The first and most important encouragement I can give to a husband is put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Men, listen to me. You must be born again. You must... Have you done that? Have you turned from trusting in your own morality, your own righteousness, and instead put your trust in the perfect righteousness and sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save you? And if you haven't, can I ask, why not? What is keeping you from turning from your sin and trusting in Christ? Friend, men and women, let today be the day of salvation for you. And for those men who have put their trust in Christ, hear now this good word from God to you. For those of you men who are married, God says this, husbands he says, love your wives. For those of you who are married, married men, these are your marching orders from God Almighty. Please notice, men, married men, God does not command you to get your wife to submit to you. That is not the command given to husbands in this text. Nor does he command you to get your wife to respect you. No, God's command for a Christian husband is to love his wife. Like I mentioned last week, Christian husband, you are called to obey this command even if your wife doesn't love you in return 
even if she does not do what God has called her to do in the previous verses. There are no qualifiers in this passage nor in any other biblical text that speaks of a husband's command to love his wife. Husbands, God writes to his sons, who he loves. He says, love your wife. So how? How is a husband to love his wife? What does that practically look like? Well, this morning I want to suggest that Paul directs our attention to three important ways in which a husband is to love his own wife. And I would beseech you, Christian husband, to make it your aim to apply these into your life, in the first, into your marriage. And the first is articulated there in verse 25. Look there once more. Christian husband, to love your wife, you must give yourself up sacrificially. Look again at verse 25. When Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives, and here's, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Country music artist Brad Paisley has a song about his love for fishing. And in the verse leading up to the chorus, Speaking of his wife, Paisley sings, But today she met me at the door, said I would have to choose. If I hit that fishing hole today, she'd be packing all her things, and she'd be gone by noon. Then after a pause, he sings, Well, I'm going to miss her (laughs) when I get home. But right now I'm on this lake shore, And I'm sitting in the sun. I'm sure it'll hit me when I walk through that door tonight. Yeah, I'm going to miss her. Oh, looky there. I got a bite. Now, you know, we chuckle. But I want to suggest to you that this song captures the very attitude Paul is speaking against in this verse. An attitude that sadly is in many Christian husbands today. Brad was unwilling to give up fishing for his wife. Yet notice what Paul writes in verse 25. He writes that we husbands are to love our wives like Christ the church who gave himself up for her. That verb gave is important, as several commentators have pointed out. That verb, along with the reflexive pronoun himself, stresses the fact that Christ took the initiative and handing himself over to death for the good of his bride. Jesus didn't simply give up something superficial like fishing for the church. No, he gave up his life. Jesus willingly died for his bride, the church. Could there be a greater sacrifice? 
Could there be a higher calling for Christian husbands? New Testament scholar Stephen Ball makes this helpful insight. He writes, Christ's model demonstrates a love towards someone who is not perfect or purely lovable. In the case of the church, she is full of warts, wrinkles, and impurities outside of Christ's loving consecration and cleansing. Christian husband, God calls you to love your wife like Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her. And men, this is a call to die to self. There's a reason why I chose this illustration about fishing. Because many men hold on to that at the expense of loving their wives. You, you know what the opposite of giving is, don't you? It's holding on. And this is what so many Christian husbands do. They hold on to their hobbies at the expense of their wife. They hold on to their preferences at the expense of their wife. They hold on to their work at the expense of their wife. And sadly, they even hold on to their lusts and their sins at the expense of their wife. And I think it's very appropriate to ask Christian husband, is there anything you are holding on to that is keeping you from loving your wife as God has commanded of you? Christ gave his life for you. He suffered and died for you. Go and do likewise for your wife. If let me connect the dots. This means sacrifice. Sacrificing your wants, your wishes. Sacrificing yourself for her good. You know, many husbands think it's their job to get something from their, from their wife, such as respect. Yet this passage teaches that instead of trying to get something from their wives, husbands are to give something to their bride, namely their life as a love gift. And I, I really just want to press in here, guys. Is there anything wrong with fishing? No. Is there anything wrong with golf? No. But how often do we hold on to these things? and are unwilling to let go of them so we can love and care for our brides. Give yourself up sacrificially. One more application point here. In case it's not obvious, <laughs> let me connect the dots and point out how this type of love that Christian husbands are commanded to follow. It is incompatible with a self-centered, domineering spirit. Christ 
Christ-like love does not demand it serves. Second, husband, to love your wife, you must accept your responsibilities. Look at what we see there in 26 through 27. So, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, Several years ago, my dad encouraged me to pick up a copy of a book called Treat Me Like a Customer by Lewis Upkins, Jr. Treat Me Like a... And I'm glad he did. The, The title of the book, Treat Me Like a Customer, is actually a quote. And you know who the quote is from? That phrase, treat me like a... It's a quote from a wife to her husband. All she wanted was for him to give her the same attention, time, care, and understanding that he gives his clients. Would you please just treat me like one of your customers? And here's the book. And the premise of the book, I actually, I don't know if some of you are still here. Some of you are. I actually gave this to every man in our church in 2010. The premise of the book is that there are things we do as men in our everyday workaday world that we would never not do, but we fail to do in our own homes. For example, we would never miss an important business meeting, especially for closing the sale. But we might miss our child's piano recital, big sports game, or our anniversary. We would never fail to set up meetings with our clients, but we can often fail to schedule a date with our wife. We would never ignore the needs of our customer, not returning their calls, sending it to voicemail when they call, but we often do that with our wives. We never answer our cell phone while meeting with a client, but we fail to turn off our cell phones when spending face time with our wives. Or we would never fail to understand our customer, giving them the impression that their cares and concerns are important to us. Yet we often fail to live our life, live with our wife in an understanding way. Notice what Paul teaches in the verses I just read. Christ takes upon himself the responsibility for the well-being and flourishing of his bride. Did you see that? Jesus takes personal responsibility to present himself, his bride, as holy. And first off, let me just say, isn't that good news Christian? (laughs) Jesus not only saves us, but he also purifies us and makes us holy through his work and through his word. He he completes the good work he started in us, Christian. Amen? 
Praise the Lord that God does this. That Christ does this. Now, while a husband cannot atone for sins or cleanse anyone, there is a sense in which Christ's sanctifying work is a pattern for a husband. And that is, I want to suggest to you that a husband must accept his responsibility to lead his wife, especially spiritually. As we discussed last week when we looked at verses 22 through 40 to 24, in his wisdom, God has placed the husband as the head of the marriage relationship. Headship, as we took time to explore last week, headship does not mean source. It means authority. And please note, Paul does not say, let's just look at there once more. Go up in verse uh, 23. I'll read verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Please note, Paul does not say that the husband ought to be the head. Like, that would be a really good idea. No, Paul states the husband is the head of his wife. Now, some husbands might be weak, ineffective, or just plain lousy heads of their wives, but nonetheless, please hear me, they are in a position of authority. As one pastor has insightfully written, he says, meditating on this is a very valuable thing for husbands to do, referring to that you are the head of the marriage. Because the husband is the head of the wife, he, he finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. He cannot successfully refuse to lead. If he attempts to advocate in some way, he may, through his rebellion, lead poorly. But no matter what he does or where he goes, he does so as the head of his wife. He says, this is how God designed marriage. Now, think for a moment about Adam and Eve. Right? In Genesis 3, Eve took the forbidden fruit and gave it to Adam to eat. Yet who did God hold responsible for those actions? Adam. Why? I'll tell you why. Because since the very first two human beings, the very first marriage, since creation, God has designed it that the husband is to be the head of the wife. This means, among other things, that God holds the husband responsible for the decisions and well-being of his home. Husbands have been given the role and responsibility to lead. And I want to just drill down here for a moment. Husbands, for you to love your wife, you must accept your responsibility to lead your wife spiritually. And if I could just say, Do you know how many women would give their right arm and their right leg if they had a husband who would lead their family spiritually? 
the American church is filled with Christian wives who are yearning and praying and pleading that their husband, God, would you make and move in my husband so that he would lead our family spiritually. Men, as the book Treat Me Like a Customer painfully makes clear, we are often good at doing all the necessary work to please our customers or to complete the assignment given by our boss. Yet so often, sadly, this, this very responsibility to lead, which, which we've been tasked with by God himself, let, let me remind you, we can neglect, we can be passive, and this should not be. So I asked a very similar question last week, and I'm going to ask it this week for you to consider. Husbands, could the main problem that is handicapping your marriage and making your relationship with your wife so difficult is that you are not accepting your God-given responsibility? Husband, what are you actively doing to see your wife and family grow spiritually? Can I give you some suggestions? First, I would implore you men to make church a priority. And for those of you that are here, A+. <laughs> you get a gold sticker today. And this is why, and, I, and I'm going to just drill down here. You, you cannot grow spiritually apart from the church. Indeed, you cannot love God without loving the church. Did you know this? You want to love God? Love the people in this church. You cannot love God without loving his people. John couldn't be clearer in First John. Listen to what he writes here. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, referring to a brother in Christ, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is why I'll, I'll encounter people who say, you know, I love God, I just can't stand the church. Uh, not according to 1 John 4. Second, lead your family in the worship of God during the week in your home. Pray together as a family, not just at meals. Read God's Word, memorize together. In fact, I, I, what if at every dinner, let's just try this for a week, what if at every meal, dinner meal this, this week, men, you just took the back of your bulletin and before you ate, you just read our memory verse, talked about it for a few moments, prayed, and then had dinner. Something just as simple as that, but that you're building in a rhythm where God, His Word, 
is, is filling in our home. Third, I would, I would just invite you to consider that, Christian husband, you model for your wife and family what confession forgiveness looks like. Men, when you sin, own it, confess it, and ask for forgiveness. Don't make excuses. Don't justify yourself. Go to the person you have sinned against, and if it's in the presence of other people that you've sinned against, say, I am sorry, what I did was wrong. Would you forgive me? Model that for your family. And when you are sinned against, freely forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then here's my last suggestion. If you want to know suggestions of how you can lead your, your family spiritually, ask your wife. Ask her, honey, in what ways could I lead our marriage and our family spiritually better? Do you have any thoughts? Because Christian husband, it falls to you, not your wife, to lead your family spiritually. Don't be passive in this regard. Accept this responsibility and lead. And one more thing. Uh, you know, male and female, he created us, were different. Uh, the way that men talk to men is different than women talk to women, and the way that men and women talk to one another. So as, as guys, we can be a little bit more direct, can I say more firm with one another, can slap each other around, right? Okay. okay. So, and, and I know there have been times this morning I've been that, I've been a little firm. But I want you to know, I am 110% for you. I, I am not against you. I want the husbands to thrive and succeed here. And if this idea of leading your family spiritually is intimidating to you, or you just don't know how, or you're just, man, please contact me. I'd love to help you. I'd love to help all of us to, to be what God wants us to be as husbands. But then lastly, for you to love your wife, you must pursue her good. And this is actually, this is, this thought is woven throughout 25 through 33, but I just want to draw your attention to how he makes it known there in verses 28 and following. So he says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but knows this, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're going to give we're going to do one more message on this passage and give special attention to, to this idea of the mystery of marriage and how it reflects the gospel. But verse 32, but this mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. However, let each one of you Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, for, for many years, Dr. Wayne Grudem was on faculty at Trinity Seminary just outside of Chicago, Illinois. However, his wife suffered from fibromyalgia. As many of you know, or many of you don't know, 
um, that is a disease that causes pain in many muscle groups. And there is, as of date, there's not a known cure. And so she would have a really difficult time just even walking up the stairs at their home or, or uh, just doing household, normal household activities. And they, as a couple, they, they prayed and they tried everything they could to get her some kind of relief from her physical pain. Well, th- to make matters worse, and I've, I grew up out just outside of Chicago and I, and I lived there for college, uh, the winters only aggravated it, as did the humid summers. Well, one day some friends invited the Grudems for a vacation out to Mesa, Arizona. And when they were in Mesa, Arizona, incredible things happened. Uh, she began to experience great relief from her pain. They, they did many activities together. They even ran on a bike ride together, something they had not done for over 12 years simply because the climate and the condition of Arizona was almost soothing to her. And after the visit, uh, Dr. Grudem looked at his wife and said, Margaret, I would like to move here for, for your good. But he said, I don't, I don't think there are any seminaries out here for me to teach. Well, a few days later, they were flipping through the yellow pages. Do you, any of you know what the yellow pages are? <laughs> okay. You kids, you'll, you'll, one day you'll find out. And he's, he's in the yellow pages. And he comes across Phoenix Seminary. And, and wanting not to be passive, he calls him up. He's like, this is kind of out of the blue, but do you guys happen to have any openings? And, and for those of you that don't know, uh, Dr. Grimm is a very well-respected and sought-after theologian, and the school said, yeah, we're interested. Well, after much prayer and thought, they began pondering what to do, and and in particular, Dr. Grudem began to ponder the implications of the text I just read, Ephesians 5.28, which states that you should love your wife as your own body. And he said this, he's like, if I were suffering like Margaret, which is his wife, would I not want to move for the sake of my health? And the obvious answer was yes. But, but listen to this. His wife, who really took it upon herself to fulfill what God has called her to do in verses 22 through 24, she told her husband, you know what, I don't want you to move because you have a very influential and important role at your, at your current seminary. God has called you here. Well, a few months later, Phoenix Seminary gave them a call. And they offered Dr. Grudem a reduced teaching load that would also give him more time to write. And the two began processing a possible move, and this is what Margaret did. Out of obedience to what God calls her to do, in verses 22 through 24, she says, says Wayne, I'm, I'm going to trust you that you're going to make the best decision for our family, and I'm going to joyfully follow whatever you decide, whether it's here or Phoenix. Well, in the end, she followed the loving leadership of her husband and they moved to Phoenix. Dr. Grudem made a great sacrifice in order to nourish and care for his bride. 
He pursued her good. And husbands, this passage exhorts us to do the same. I mean, just notice the words Paul employs in verse 29. Nourish and cherish are tender words, are they not? Now, to be sure, I want to just clarify. Paul is not commanding us in this section to love ourselves. Rather, he's assuming that we do love ourselves unconditionally, as is demonstrated by our efforts to care for our own bodies. And listen, as unnatural as it is to abuse one's own body, for what does he say? For no one ever hated his own flesh. So it is unnatural and self-destructive for a man to mistreat his wife. A man should care for the needs of his wife because, as verse 31 makes clear, she is one flesh with him. So what would this mean practically? Well, this would mean that a husband is to protect in, in every sense of that word and to provide for his wife. To the degree that a husband already seeks his own good, he should seek his bride's good. To the degree that he actively seeks his best interest, he should seek hers. Christ sought the good of his body, the church, thus a husband should do likewise. Husbands, this is how you are to love your wife. Give yourself up sacrificially. Accept the responsibility you've been given as the head and then pursue her good. I, I have never met a woman who would not want to be married to a guy who does this. To close, Christian husband, I want to remind you what the author of Proverbs states in Proverbs 18.22 when he says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Christian husband, your wife is a gift. View her that way. And by the Spirit's power, love her just as our Savior loved us. Amen? Let's pray.